for those who are sustainable, those who want to be sustainable, and those who have a hankering for learning. On today's episode, we're going to investigate the current state of sustainable forest management, and then we're going to talk about Indigenous and non-Indigenous collaboration. But first, let me set the scene a bit. I'm in the Capilano watershed in North Vancouver, right below Cleveland Dam. This area is a part of the temperate coastal rainforest where Douglas firs and western red cedars were logged in the early 1900s. I've come here to say hi to Grandpa Capilano. He's almost a thousand years old, and he's a tree. An old-growth Douglas fir to be exact, and probably because of how difficult it would have been to remove it from this canyon, it was spared by loggers. He seems lonely, an ancient relic in a second-growth forest, fenced off from the path that appears to be a bit of a spectacle. There's a huge stump right next to it, and you can see axe marks from where the loggers chopped it down a hundred years ago. No chainsaws back then. As far back as I can remember, I've been infatuated with forests. Camping, hiking, playing among the trees. We British Columbians are truly blessed to be in the presence of some of the world's most amazing forests. BC coastal temperate rainforests contain some of the most productive photosynthesizing ecosystems. They make up 25% of the world's temperate rainforests. Around half of these trees are old growth, meaning that they contain trees of a mixed age, ranging from about 250 years old to 1,000 years old. In a media release December 2019, the Sierra Club BC states that these forests are among those that contain the highest carbon storage per hectare. And through the persistence of clear-cutting, BC remains a Brazil of the north. The cooler climate in temperate rainforests, as opposed to tropical rainforests like those found in Brazil, allow for slower decomposition of organic material. Because of this, a large amount of fungi and mushroom species have flourished in these forests. There are some great studies that are being done right now on the symbiotic relationships between fungi and tree roots. They explore the nutrient exchange between the two. Every time a new report comes out, it only goes to show that there's a lot left to be discovered in these mysterious and biomass-rich forest ecosystems. Today, the main threats to BC's forest are habitat loss and degradation. Old-growth forests in particular are a concern for a couple reasons. Because of climate change, they will never grow back to their original state. And the species that live here cannot live in younger, same-aged forests, such as those planted in logged areas. And the logging industry targets the places with the largest trees first. The Ancient Forest Alliance asserts that the movement towards second-growth logging is inevitable when the unprotected old growth runs out. The Sierra Club BC calls for Canadians to increase conservation and have stricter forestry laws that improve management. This includes Indigenous protected areas that are aligned with the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. A study on the authority of forest governance found that across Canada, the current problem of forest management is a void between the well-being of Canadians and the ecological integrity. An assessment of forest stewardship policies found that marginalized communities within Canada are the most affected by mismanagement. This is because they typically rely on these natural resources and place high cultural importance on them. Okay, so we have our solution. Save all the trees! I wish it was that simple. It's being called a crisis. Workers at another BC lumber mill. Hundreds of logging truck owners and contractors furious. 
meaning layoffs for 300 loggers. BC has been plagued by a series of mill curtailments and closures. You can't have value added if you don't have anything to add value to. Oh boy. I guess we should talk about what value-added forestry looks like. Value-added describes the act of turning raw lumber into a finished product. Much of this is not occurring in British Columbia, leaving rural communities at a loss for jobs. Some research studies have estimated that $3 billion of raw logs have been exported from British Columbia. The way we do forestry needs to change. It needs to be sustainable, second-growth, value-added forestry model. Here's my conversation with the BC Forester. She's working towards just that, making our forests sustainable. Well, I'm Cheryl Power, and to put it in a nutshell, I am an assistant manager with the University of British Columbia's research forest, and actually they have uh, two different research forests. So I'm at the one that's in Maple Ridge on the coast. It's called the Malcolm Knapp Research Forest. I'm one of the foresters here, and I manage all of the silviculture and a lot of the forest operations, and we also have a lot of research and education programs going on here that I'm involved in. In forestry and in silviculture, you know, we're looking at the services that an ecosystem can provide, okay? and mm -hmm. sustainability is about being sure that those forest ecosystems stay healthy and resilient and they can continue to provide all of these you know, services that we need. But for me, sustainability is about more than just the ecosystem itself. It's about how humans are interacting with each other and with forest ecosystems. Yeah. Because you can't really have sustainability. Like you can, you can work out, for example, how much is being removed from the forest for human needs or what are the impacts on the forest because of human needs and, and what inputs we need to put back in, like, for example, tree planting or something like that, to replace that. That's, that's an analytical exercise, and we can do that. But it's more than that. It's, it, it's humans figuring out how they're going to reconcile with each other, for example, with First Nations, but also just with the Earth, like collectively as humanity. You know, how are we going to have a sustainable relationship with the earth, with the ecosystems that support us? Humans have been practicing silviculture for at least hundreds of years. And as, you know, consumption of forests on various levels has proceeded and progressed throughout the world to varying degrees, you know, silviculture has been a means to you know, ensure that those inputs that I was talking about are, mm -hmm. are happening to, you know, to try to make sure that the forest, you know, becomes productive again, you know, as quickly as possible and to the maximum extent possible. So things like silviculture and even this whole field of ecological restoration, mm -hmm. they're very, very similar endeavors. It's, it's basically trying to, you know, ensure that, that, soils and biological diversity and and say trees are an obvious example because humans yeah. use a lot of trees to make sure that they are restored and that you know in, in silviculture it's more specific to growing trees and forests mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that they have the diversity and that they have 
just the, the stocking, we would call it, meaning just that, that all of the areas are reoccupied again by trees as soon as possible to make up for what we've... Research forests are a very special thing. I mean, in British Columbia, we're really blessed because most of the forest land is public land, mm-hmm. you know, over 90%, actually close to 95% of the forest in British Columbia is publicly owned. And therefore, most of it is accessible to the public, you know, albeit with some reasonable rules. In in a research forest, they're, they're very special case. They're just tiny um, little parts of BC's forest. And we actually yeah. have really lovely trail systems um, and, and roads that can be hiked on. But we have a fair amount of restriction on what kinds of recreation can take place because we have to protect all the research projects. And there's a lot of very long-term research projects going on. So what's like a a main project that you're working on right now? Oh boy, over the years, Mm -hmm. um, since this research forest started in the 1940s, uh, we actually have about a thousand different research projects that have been done here. It's very multidisciplinary. It's just about everything you can think of uh, that you might want to study in a forest. One of my interesting um, projects that crosses between research and and just you know my silviculture operations that I'm doing as as a part of just my regular routine work is below ground ecology and biodiversity work and what we call different silvicultural systems and that's being done in collaboration with Suzanne Simard who you might have heard of who has looked at um, below ground um, um, fungal networks. Mm-hmm. And how- interconnect mm-hmm. trees and it's not just the trees uh, you know um there, there's many other plants involved even but but just focusing mainly on the on the trees here and how they communicate and transfer resources to one another and how that may be enhanced under types of silviculture that that leave these uh, what she's termed mother trees, meaning uh, some of the bigger, older uh, sort of hub trees in that ecosystem uh, that provide uh, a whole lot of connections that make the, the new forest potentially healthier. Uh, one of a number of her new installations all across BC, um, mo- mostly focusing on Douglas fir and its role in the below ground ecology, but also looking at the whole range of the species and, and the silviculture and you know, how to make sure that forests under the stress from changing climate can be more resilient and, and you know, sustainable and, and healthy in the future. So it, it's a big project. It's really great to be involved with that. I've known Suzanne, as I mentioned, for a long time. So I'm, I'm very interested in her work. And we've, uh, we've talked about it many times over the years. So I've worked very closely with um, Suzanne and and others in her group putting that project together and doing the reforestation in it and um, that's a project that's very very long term very educational there'll be you know a major project for decades to come you know I don't know if everybody realizes but when we think about forests and how sustainable they are uh, I think one of the things that's really interesting is is you know we we harvest trees and then we replant trees you know every year. And that happens here in many other places. So reforestation is a big thing. And the tree planters that are working for me now, you know, they're incredible. That's one of the toughest, most demanding jobs that there is. And it takes really, really special people to be able to do a job like that. Uh, I just can't say enough about what they're doing, you know, for all of us here. Um, you know, trees are going to absorb a lot of carbon emissions. They're going to help curb or at least slow climate impacts 
we need to plant a lot more trees. Uh, that's what the United Nations and the governments of you know, most countries and the scientists are saying. That's going to be really challenging. I was actually once looking at some numbers. There's a big jump in tree planting this year. I think it's over 300 million trees that are going to be planted this year because there's been all these wildfires and forest health issues like diseases and insects. They actually take out a lot more forest every year. These are kind of, you know, forces of nature, you know, the natural uh, disturbances. They take out a lot more than people are logging every year. 300, 310 million trees this year. That was the figure I was looking at. That's how many trees are going to be planted. So there's a real uptick. I need, I need people. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Cheryl. Talk to you again soon. Okay, bye. So far, we have found that social justice and environmental justice are intrinsically linked. The two crises of forest management are, well, the timber companies. They want to have old growth forests, the oldest in the world. And the second, the exportation of raw logs and the closure of mills that has massive job losses in BC. But there's also a third. From the middle of the 1700s to the end of the 2000s, consecutive treaties, legislation, and policies of Canadian governments have systematically displaced Indigenous people from their lands and attempted to assimilate them into non-Indigenous Canadian society. Most Indigenous communities reside within forested areas of Canada and have close cultural and economic attachments to the land, thus making them particularly exposed. Indigenous communities want decision-making that is socially just and economically sustainable. Engagement and inclusive development with Indigenous communities is key to a mainstream adaptation of a new forest management system. Did you know that 94% of the forests in Canada are under public ownership? Throughout my research for this podcast, I saw a lot of enthusiasm for ecosystem-based management. A change in forest management is really the switching of governing authorities and involving and recognizing communities and strengthening the local powers, really making them the forest stewards. The idea of a community forest has been around since 1945, but it was really in the 2000s that they became a thing. In 2004, there was a timber reallocation and changes to the Forestry Act allowed for four pilot programs of community forests. Today, 2020, there are 63 community forests across British Columbia, right north of Vancouver. A new community forest is being piloted in Squamish. A study found that community forests created over time this unexpected union of neighborliness between Indigenous and non-Indigenous community members. They found an increased well-being, and this was all possible because of clarified and recognized Indigenous rights. The same study hypothesized that there would be long-term sociological and psychological benefits to these communities. This is because of increased understanding of Indigenous rights, values, and culture through truth and reconciliation. Participation in forest and resource management increases awareness, enhances education and research opportunities, it improves self-reliance of rural communities, it employs communities, it decreases conflicts, and it is sustainable. A study over in Chequemis Community Forest found that because the community in Whistler had increased participation in decision-making, they had more control over the sustainable path of the resort town. They also found that creating seasonal variation in mountain resorts influenced forest management by shifting extraction to recreation. So more of this... Hello! ...can mean less of this.
Canada leads the world in sustainable forest management. However, there is still this wicked problem of how to balance everything. There's First Nation claims of Aboriginal title over traditional lands and society's demand for larger protection of BC's rich biodiversity. But then there's also industry's need to be certain in business operations and the province's reputation of being the best place on earth. I suspect that as younger workers who are more aware of environmental and sustainable issues earn management positions, these community gaps will lessen. There will be an increase in awareness of land use management, and it'll make us, the people, a larger stakeholder in our own forests. The coastal rainforests are super important to us. They are critical to Indigenous culture, important for our economy, and we love to enjoy the forests through mountain resorts, camping, observing wildlife, and collecting medicine. Ecosystem-based, value-added management that recognizes and honors Indigenous land rights is where we need to be. So what can you do today to help your forests? An actionable step in your local forest could be as simple as picking up matter out of place, even if it isn't yours. Keep to those designated paths and don't tread on the roots of our trees. Prevent the transport of invasive seeds and species by cleaning debris like soil off your shoes and vehicle tires. Also, use forest-friendly, sustainable products. And remember, in the case of a community forest, change can be implemented by a small and involved group of individuals. Bring your community together the wild way. This podcast was produced by me, Devin. Consulting and editing by Janet Waters. Presented to you by Catalina University. With special thanks to Tom Varga, Sam Taylor, and the Simpson family. You can reach us on Instagram at wildwaypod or wildwaypodcast at gmail.com. You can find our show notes on our website. And please subscribe to our channel and invite your friends. And that's the wild way. Oh, 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 o